I want to take as my text this morning, we've been in Ephesians for the last few weeks, I want to continue in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3, um, beginning at verse 14, if you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can find that text on page 1160, Paul's letter to the Ephesians chapter 3, and beginning at verse 14, which I'd like you to take a look with me again as I read, verse 14, Ephesians chapter 3. And for this reason, the apostle says, I bow my knees before the Father for whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that being rooted and grounded in love, you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. I've titled my talk this morning, A Prayer and a Praise. A Prayer and the praise. In fact, essentially that's what we have in our text this morning, namely the apostle uh, praying on behalf of the believers at Ephesus, and then a word of praise because of all that he had done in their lives as believers and all the things that were possible for him to do in their lives. And not just for them, uh, these believers in Ephesus, but also about what God has done for all believers. Inasmuch as what God has done for the believers in Ephesus, he has also done the same for all of them, which includes all of us, if in fact we are believers in God through his son Jesus Christ. And so the, firstly what we have in our text is this prayer, a, a prayer for believers, in particular a prayer for those who, as we've been following along in, 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 in Ephesians, a prayer for those who have been made one together through their common faith in Jesus Christ. Jews and Gentiles and everything in between, if there is anything in between. <laughs> but indeed, in verses 14 through 19, what we have is a prayer. And, and In fact, notice again verse 14. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. He says he's talking about bowing his knees or kneeling down. That's prayer language. It's a reference to a prayer posture. And so what the Apostle Paul, it, what follows thereafter is this prayer uh, that he's making. Uh, he says, for this reason, which is sort of the thing that uh, refers back to something that he mentioned before, the reason for his prayer has to do with all that God has done for not just the Jews. You remember God was just always, de just was dealing with one uh, people, the Israelites, the Hebrews, but now he was doing something that actually, as he mentions here, all the families of the earth, everyone is God, the object of God's deliberate dealing, not just with the Jews, but now with the Gentiles as well. As what Jesus said after his resurrection and before his ascension, what did he say? He said, and now go into all the worlds 
and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So now God is dealing with all of these people, which include you and me. I don't know about you. I don't have any Jewish blood. So I'm celebrating this because <laughs> this really has to do with me. Um, but um, if you go back to chapter 2, you have something of a summary of what I've just sort of explained, but Paul's words directly. In chapter 2, beginning at verse 13, he says, And now in Christ Jesus, you, you Gentiles who once were far off, and God wasn't dealing with you directly, he's brought you near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who's made both one. Any hostility that existed between Jews and Gentiles is removed in Christ. He has become our peace, and he's made both groups one. And so, there are no, so you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints or the people of God and members of the household of God. And so that's the reason for Paul's prayer. But the question, of course, is what does he pray? What does Paul pray for? What does Paul pray for the believers at Ephesus and then, by extension, for as much as all of us are members of the body of Christ, them and us, what's he praying also for us as he prays for the people of God? Well, firstly, Paul prays uh, that we all might be made strong with spiritual power. Notice again uh, verse 14. And for this reason I bow the knees, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And so Paul pays, prays that we all might be made strong with spiritual power, as he puts it, uh, that we might be made strong according to the riches of God's glory. A lot of religious language here. What does he mean? I like the way the New Living Translation put it, that we might be made strong with spiritual power according to God's glorious, unlimited resources. See, lots of times when people, we, we might want to do something, or somebody comes to us and they ask us to do something, we may not have the resources to do it. The thing about God is, is that he's able to do everything he says. And that's sort of touched on here. The apostle is saying, oh, that he might do what I'm asking him to do, which, uh, by the way, the, the apostle would say, I do with great confidence because the things I'm praying for is exactly what God wants to do. I'm asking him to do what I know he wants to do. And so that they might be made strong with spiritual power according to God's glorious, unlimited resources. Or as Paul puts it again, that we might be made strong with spiritual power through the Holy Spirit. And that in the inner man. That's why I'm referring to it as spiritual power. The inner, the inner person. The inner being. Strong in heart and mind. All of life begins here. And here, we all know that, right? This begins out, it begins from within. And I act, in fact, Jesus said that. It's not what goes into a man that defiles a man, it's what comes out of a man or a person that defiles a person because all of life begins in the heart, in the mind, 
And Paul is praying that we might be strengthened with spiritual power from the inside, that we might from the inside out do great things for God or do things that are in keeping with His will and His character. And then Paul says that uh, he's praying all of these things that Christ might uh, dwell in our hearts. You look at the Greek, it means that, uh, he might, that Christ might feel at home within us. It's just an interesting way of putting it. I think the New Living Translation brings that out, that Christ might settle in and make his home within us. And so that's the first thing that Paul prays for, that we might all be made strong with spiritual power. And then secondly, Paul prays that we all might be made strong in order that we might fully, as he puts it, fully comprehend God's love for us. That we might fully comprehend God's love for us. This, this has a huge motivating factor, I think, as it relates to effectively living the Christian life. As somebody wrote this, we don't live for God in order that we might earn God's love. Rather, we love God because we know He loves us. <laughs> Some, I mean, that's a grace message and that's a grace truth. You don't live for God in order to earn God's love or get His attention. We love God and we give ourselves away in response to Him loving us and giving Himself away. So Paul wrote in writing to the Romans in chapter 5, Romans 5 and verse 8, he said this famously, the Apostle Paul, but God shows or demonstrates his love for us in that while, while we were still sinners, when we were doing what he doesn't want us to do, Christ died for us. We, he doesn't pay attention or do something for us when we get ourselves all cleaned up. He does something so he can clean us up. And if he is cleaning, cleaning us up and changing us and transforming us and redirecting our focus and our aims, that's because he is doing something in us. But God shows his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Or as Brenning Manning famously put it, God loves you so much he'd rather die than live without you. <laughs> And so Paul prays that we might all be made strong spiritually in order to comprehend fully God's love toward us. And then he mentions something interesting. He talks about these dimensions of God's love, <laughs> that we might comprehend with all believers everywhere that these, these dimensions of, of Christ's love for us. Four dimensions, in fact, he mentions. He says that, that uh, what is it? What, what verse is it? Verse, uh, well, notice again uh, the second half of 17. And that you being rooted and grounded in love may be strengthened to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, these dimensions, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so he says that you might know the what? The, the breadth, the wideness of God's love. And that you might know the length of it. And that you might know the height of it. And that you might know the depth of it. 
that we might all comprehend with all believers the love of Christ as he describes it that surpasses knowledge. Which is not to say that, you, that the love of God is, is completely unknowable, per se. But I think what he's trying to say is it's oftentimes not known to many. And that for even those of us who are trying to understand it and are seeking it out, it can never be fully comprehended because it's just too big. There's lots of things you can know about God, but I don't suppose I need to tell you that you can't know everything about God. And there's many things that we can know about what God does and his, what his disposition toward us. But we can't know everything. But we can know something of the character and quality of God's love, especially if the Spirit is living within us. In fact, it's the Spirit that teaches. I think it was John who wrote in his letter, he says, you don't need teachers, you have the Holy Spirit <laughs> to understand and I think he was making reference actually to these false teachers who were making themselves or trying to make themselves indispensable to the church. But he says, you know, you know when you're hearing the word of God, when you're hearing truth and when you're hearing lies. But Paul writing to the Romans, he said this famously, chapter 8 and verse 16, the spirit himself who lives within you bears witness with your spirit that you are the children of God. And so Paul prays that we all might come to comprehend with believers in all places the love of Christ. And that to the end that we might be filled with the fullness of God. <laughs> Think of that. That's pretty close. That's a pretty close relationship if you're filled with God. I think more often than not, we think of God as useful rather than beautiful. We... I don't know that we think much about intimacy with God, but that's pretty intimate to be filled with God. And this seems to be the end that, he's, that, uh, the, that, uh, that Paul is praying for, that you might be filled. And as it relates to love, it makes a lot of sense because God is love, so John said. And he says all of this as we ourselves are rooted in love, and then he talks about being grounded in love. Being rooted in love, it's a... Uh, um, dendrological, dendrological metaphor. I had to look that up. I said, man, what is this? what's the study of trees? I mean, I know what he's talking about here. It's, a, it's, if you like, a dendrological metaphor. It's a metaphor based on what we know about trees, to be rooted in love. So if you can imagine the tree in these great, I mean, in our neighborhood, I expect it's probably true in your neighborhood, these, uh, these live oaks, right? And they say as much as you see above is what what root system you have below. And so he's talking about being rooted in love. You Ephesian believers, you believers at Holy Cross, that you would be rooted in love. And then grounded in love, which is an architectural metaphor. He's talking about the foundation of a building. Talking about being built like a building upon a foundation of love. And so that's the first thing we have in our text, a, a prayer for believers. And then secondly and finally, we have in our text a praise to God. Notice again, verses 20 and 21. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. 
And so Paul says, praise be to God. He says, God is to be praised. Well, where is he to be praised? Well, he's to be praised in the church. <laughs> you know what? That's you and me. We're to be the context and the reason and the source of praise. As individuals, we're to be a source of praise. You remember Jesus' words? We say it every time we do a baptism. We're going to be doing baptism uh, next month. And what do we, we, we light the candle and then we hand the candle uh, to the sponsor or if we're, if we're baptizing an adult, we hand it to the adult or to the teenager and we say, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. <laughs> That's you being the reason why somebody would notice that God is alive and that God is good. Or as I quoted Dr. Howard a couple weeks back, or maybe it was last week, I can't remember, but he, he used to say, he used to say, um, uh, sometimes I'm with some people and I'm impressed with them. And then sometimes I'm with other people and I'm impressed with their God. <laughs> I, kinda, I don't really notice them, but I notice their faith and I notice what motivates them and I notice the way they live. And I go, they must be serving a great God that God might be glorified in His church, which is us, as individuals, and then, and then as a corporate body of people. Holy Cross! <laughs> it's God being glorified at Holy Cross. Listen to what people chatter about. What, what are they talking about? What, is the, what are they excited about? Are they excited about God or are they excited about something else? You know, the great uh, temptation in the church is to be excited about money. <laughs> we're, more, we're more concerned about money than we're concerned about God. In fact, when we do the belonging course, I always ask a question. We get along somewhere and we're kind of making this point. And I'll say, how many of you have ever lost sleep at night because you were concerned about money? And that you weren't going to have enough or that you were going to lose money. Or something. Every hand goes up. I said, how many of you have lo ever lost sleep because you thought you were going to lose God? <laughs> and nobody's hands go up. Because, in fact, when Jesus says you can't serve God and money, why do you suppose, why, why didn't he say you can't serve God and your spouse? Uh, you can't serve God and your hobbies. You can't serve God and your, why does he say you can't serve God and money? Because money is the great rival <laughs> of God. But what's our threefold motto at Holy Cross? What? Welcoming all, transforming lives, glorifying God. I didn't write that. That was here before I came. But maybe whoever wrote it or suggested it was familiar with this passage. Paul says that uh, God is to be glorified in us, glorified in the church. And then, interestingly enough, he says, and glorified in Christ. <laughs> that when I look at him, I see the Father. In fact, that's what Jesus told his disciples, and Philip in particular. Philip, why would you say, show me the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And it's just, it, it, he is, Christ is a source of glory to the Father. Jesus himself was the one who said, I do always those things that please the Father, which is instructive, I think, relative to how it is that God is glorified in us. Indeed, God is glorified in us as individuals, as individual believers, and as a church, as a community of believers 
when we were doing those things that are pleasing to Him. And so that's where God is to be praised in the church, in Christ. And when is God to be praised? Paul says that God is to be praised, He's to be glorified in the church and in Christ from generation to generation and forever. That pretty much covers it, doesn't it? But think of it as generation to generation. Right? Your children, your parents, the church you grew up in. We were talking about this the other day at church that Linda and I, in fact, we were married there. In fact, we celebrated our 31st wedding anniversary this last Wednesday. But we were, we were married in Dallas at the church, and the subject of that particular church had come up. Uh, and, but we knew those people 30 years ago. And some of them were pretty old. <laughs> and I'm guessing they're not there anymore. <laughs> From generation to generation to generation, may God be praised in the church and through Christ. From generation to generation and forever. Makes one maybe ask what sort of spiritual legacy I'm handing down to the next generation in my family or maybe people younger than myself in the church. And why is God to be praised? Paul mentions two things, interesting. He says, firstly, that God is to be praised because God is able to do more for us than we can even think or imagine. He can do more. Whenever you ask yourself, geez, I don't know, can God handle this one? He can handle it. <laughs> I love what the one guy said. He said, don't tell, don't tell God how big your problems are. Tell your problems how big your God is. Because God is able. And then secondly, God is to be praised because He is able to, to, to do more for us than we can ever even think to ask. That is, to pray. In fact, somebody commenting, commenting on this particular text wrote this, God is able to answer your prayers even better than you are able to ask them. Listen to that again. God is able to answer your prayers even better than you are able to ask them. Now I'm glad of that because sometimes I don't know how to pray. <laughs> and so I think it was uh, what uh, uh, Anne Lamott, who said to her, she has her two favorite prayers are thank you, thank you, thank you, and help me, help me, help me. <laughs> and when you're in the help me, help me, help me, it's like, you know what? You know what? Here, Lord, why don't you fashion the prayer and then answer it since you're there already? <laughs> God is able to answer your prayer even better than you are able to ask. And Paul says that uh, God does all of this according to his power, he says, as he describes it, that is at work in us. Which Paul says in the first part of this letter to the Ephesians is the same power that God the Father used to raise Christ from the dead. When we talk about power, you know, there's power in the name of Jesus and that walking with God is, a, is, a, is an issue of power. That, that even when I'm weak, as Paul said when we were doing 2 Corinthians, when I am weak, then I am what? Strong. 
In fact, Ephesians 1, this is what Paul wrote, according to the immeasurable, this are these superlatives, <laughs> according to the immeasurable greatness of his power, which means that there's no limits. It just keeps going up, and it just keeps going down, and it just keeps going out. Like an expanding universe is God's love and God's power according to the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might that He worked when, in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. That is how all of these things that we're describing can take place because it's that power that's at work in, in, in us if we belong to God. And Paul says, because of these things, glory be to him. Someone has written, God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much just to leave you there. <laughs> That's why Paul is praying what he's praying. Hey, man, I'm glad, you know. It, it, you See, accepting Christ or leading somebody to Christ is not like selling an insurance policy. You have them signed on the dotted line and then it's all done. It's the entering into a life. Jesus, Jesus didn't say, just, um, how'd you like the message? Hey, listen, how did you, more bread, more fish? <laughs> he says, follow me. Follow me. Leave what, if you leave what you're doing, come follow me. It's a way of life. God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much just to leave you where you are. Brett McCracken who famously said, the church that will change your life is the church that challenges you to grow. And what we have in our text this morning is the great apostle Paul praying for us as believers that we would grow and that our lives would be a source of the glory and praise of God. And so I wonder this morning where you might think of yourself as to where you fit into all of this. Indeed, I would ask, what, what do you sense that God is saying to you this morning? What is God telling you to do? And I suppose the real question is, will you do it? A prayer and a praise. Let us pray. I don't know exactly, Lord, why we, can, why we make the Christian life so mundane. I like what David, uh, David's, uh, uh, um, David Taylor wrote in his book, uh, that to be full of God is to be full of joy. I th we, seek, uh, we seek joy in lots of things. Sometimes they give us a little bit of joy, but then they kind of get rusty and they start to smell or some other thing goes wrong with it because they're not you. But when we, when we are seeking after you, I don't, there's no disappointment involved because you're a God. And as Rob Bell says, there's nothing more ultimate than God. And so give us ears to hear the things that you might be saying to us this morning and give us the grace to respond to them, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>